My name is David Taylor. And uh, as some of you know, I was born in Guatemala City. And one of the things that happens when you are born in a Latin American country is that you play a lot of soccer. <clears throat> I played soccer for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, and at every point in between. You also get to watch an extraordinary amount of soccer on TV. And in the early 80s, when I lived in Guatemala, it was World Cup time. We'd get to bring our little box uh, boob tube TVs to the classroom and uh, watch the games live. Now, if you watch soccer, especially like Latin American teams, one of the things you would notice players do is when they come into the field, they dip down, touch the ground, cross themselves, and then go off to play. And if they scored a goal, they just cross themselves like crazy, kiss their lips, and hands up in the air. Now, I am and was an evangelical Protestant, and in that world that I grew up in, conservative evangelicalism, the one thing you did not do, because we were not Catholics, is we did not cross ourselves. <clears throat> At best, it was superstitious, right? I mean, what do you think is going to happen with all this crossing of your body? You think you're really going to be a better player? And at worst, it was sacrilegious. Somehow a, a defamation, <laughs> a desecration, uh, a touching of the Ark of the Covenant. Now the irony is that many decades later, I cross myself all the time. Why? Well, because I've come to embrace what Anglicans might call a sacramental vision of life, which is to say, among other things, that our bodies have this amazing role that they play in participating in the knowledge and love of God in our lives. And when I look at Holy Scripture, at the kinds of things that we discover there about our bodies and worship, I discover three things. I discover that we are commanded to love God through our bodies. We, are, we, we find ourselves needing to worship God through our bodies. And thirdly, we find that we get to worship God through our bodies. And that's what I want to explore with you briefly this morning is these three things and then illustrate them in, in a few small ways uh, in the context of our, our liturgy and, and specifically the ways in which we have prescriptive uses of our bodies in worship and spontaneous uses of our bodies. And then I'll end with just one little final note. So then first, we're commanded to worship God through our bodies. Where do we find this kind of command language in Holy Scripture? Well, all over the place, certainly all over the Psalter, but here are just a few examples from the Psalm. Psalm 33, 8, let all the inhabitants stand in awe of him. Psalm 95, 6, very familiar to us as Anglicans, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And then from our reading today, Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all you nations. Now, it's important to, to underscore the obvious fact that this is command language. It's not suggestive language. It's not language that says, hey, you know, if you, uh, if you get around to it at some point in sort of the indefinite future, you might consider, but uh, no big deal to clap your hands, all you nations. It's, in fact, very bold. It's clap. It's imperative. Now, we also find this kind of command language in the New Testament. And only one example that I'll mention here is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, where Paul is talking about the role of our bodies in our lives. And at the end here in verse 20, he says, you have been bought at a price, therefore 
honor God through your bodies. And it's important for us to remember that, that all this command language, it's not oppressive stuff. It's, it's, it's good stuff. It's like really, really good stuff. And it makes me think of an experience that I had in 1999 when I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was running. I was a very, very serious runner. I was training for this 10K race, and, uh, and I was on track for a sub-35 10K, so I was, I was focused. And on one of my training runs through this uh, sort of trail part of Vancouver, I felt something snap in my Achilles tendon, and I was hurting. I got to the end of my run. The next day, I went to the uh, sports doctors there at the University of British Columbia. And at the end of all the exams, the sports doctor sat me down and said, David, don't run. You afraid your Achilles tendon, and if you want to get better and run again, you should stop running now. And that is precisely what I didn't do. I did not stop running. I kept running because I was stubbornly committed to run this race, this 10K race. And I ran it poorly because I was injured. And 21 years later, I am still injured. And I cannot run like I used to because I disobeyed the command, which was a good, wise, loving command of the sports doctor. My point is this. As Holy Scripture sees it, my body is not my property. It's not my possession. It's not something that I own. It's something that is given to me in order to steward as a gift. And in love and humility, I get to honor God through my body. That's the first point. Second, we need to worship God through our bodies. Another soccer illustration. One of the greatest soccer players living today, at least I think he's the greatest soccer player, is Lionel Messi, Argentinian-born, but plays for Barcelona in Spain. He's like the Michael Jordan of soccer today, although it'd be like the LeBron James of soccer today. But he was not a great soccer player his first two years. Why? Because he ate like a teenager. He ate fast food, he drank soft drinks, he had lots of sugar and desserts, and as a result, his body was susceptible easily and repeatedly to injury. His body kept breaking down because Lionel Messi did not take care of his bodies. The medical personnel at Barcelona sat him down and said, you are not going to achieve your greatest potential if you do not take care of your body. You need to eat and drink well. And he did. And from that point on, he really became the Lionel Messi that we all know and love, this extraordinary soccer player. God has designed our bodies to flourish under very specific conditions. And it's true with our bodies in worship as well. Our bodies were not designed to be muted in worship. They were not designed to be muzzled in worship. They were designed to love and worship God in very distinctively bodily ways, just like the rest of creation. And I love how John Calvin comments on Job, uh, really all the book of Job, but particularly Job 12 and, and Job 38, where we see this language of creation needing to worship God because it was made to worship God. And he says this, the little birds, they sing of God. And the beast, they clamor for him. The elements dread him, the mountains, echo him, and the flowers laugh before him. All of creation 
praises God in his very distinctive, unique, creaturely ways. And it's true of our bodies as well. Our bodies were meant to do something. Our hands were meant to be extended out, lifted up, extended out like this way. And we know that in our normal lives, right? We ask for things in this way. We say, this is awesome. Or we salute somebody as a sign of reverence or authority for authority. Our hands are designed to participate in the worship of God. Our eyes are made to see things, our ears to hear things, our noses to smell things. Our bodies have this active role. The point is this. To deny our bodies an active role in worship is akin to denying a sunflower its creaturely designed purpose to turn its face to the sun. I lived in Germany many, many years ago, and I would often run through these fields and fields of sunflowers. And in the morning runs, all the, all the sunflowers were turned towards the rising sun. And when I would run in evening, all the fields and their faces were turned towards the setting sun. You put a sunflower in the, sh in the, in the shade, it will wilt. It's in the shade long enough, it will die. Our bodies are likewise designed to turn themselves in distinctively, uniquely bodily ways to God in worship. Third, we get to use our bodies in worship. We're not just commanded. We don't just need to for life's sake, but we get to. And the story here is from 2 Samuel 6 that helps us understand this point. It's the story of David dancing as the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem. And the text says twice, in fact, that he danced before the Lord with great abandon. Now, you know how the story goes. When his wife, Michael, sees him behaving in this way, she upbraids him for which she felt is this embarrassingly vulgar behavior. And in response, David tells her that he will become even more undignified than this. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, having David say, in God's presence, I will dance all I want. I get to dance. I want to dance. I will dance. Now, I have a little bit of a of, uh, maybe insider understanding of this whole dance business because a long time ago in a galaxy far away in the early 90s, I used to be much freer in my body. And I would often visit Hope Chapel, which is a church in Austin, Texas. And uh, I would stand at the back of the sanctuary and uh, feeling very free in my body I would sort of dance in all sorts of ways. My hands would wave around and my, my legs would be moving every which way. Now, there's one Sunday where the worship pastor at the time, Jack Dorman, paused the musical dance and said, hey, David Taylor, why don't you come up to the front? And David Taylor did not want to come to the front, but he did because it would be awkward to say no. So I came to the front and Jack said, long and short of it, hey, I really appreciate watching you worship God with your whole body. It's a real encouragement to me. Would you stand here and just keep doing your little moving around thing while we continue singing? And that's the last thing I wanted to do because it was mortifying to do that in front of other people. But I did because I felt like 
it was the right thing to do, and I'd been asked, so I did. So I moved my body, and so this expression of praise. And here's one of the most amazing things that results from that kind of experience, is you have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to die to all kinds of self-consciousness, all the stuff that's inside of you that says things like, what are other people going to think? Are you going to judge me if I do this or if I don't do that? What if you find me wanting? What if you reject me? What if I make a fool of myself? And I realized then, and I still understand now, at least maybe more in my head than in my body, that we don't worship <clears throat> ultimately for the sake of how other people will perceive us, like or not like us, judge or not judge us, feel embarrassed by us or not feel embarrassed by us. We worship before God Almighty. And one day, you and I will stand before the Lord's presence, and I promise you, I will not care, and you will not care how other people perceive you, because your whole being will be extended to God in love and praise, because it's what you were designed to do. The point is this, that we don't just have to raise our hands. We're not just commanded to raise our hands. We get to raise our hands now, right? In anticipation of that glorious day in which all hands will be extended in love and praise to God. We don't just have to kneel. We get to kneel. We don't just have to turn our bodies towards the gospel as it comes down for the reading of it. We get to turn our bodies towards Jesus all of our lives. So, commanded, we need to, we get to. All right, so what does this look like within the context of the liturgy? Well, there are two kinds of ways in which we use our bodies in the liturgy. They're prescriptive, that is, stuff that's prescribed for us, like do this here and do that there, and then there's spontaneous stuff, stuff that you could do as you are moved, quite literally. So let me offer a few examples within the liturgy of this. First, prescriptive. One of the things that we do uh, as Anglicans, but not just as Anglicans, Catholics, Orthodox, Lutherans, others, anybody, <laughs> is we cross ourselves multiple places in the liturgy. Well, one of the places at the blessing, blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one place. Also at the reading of the Gospels, you may see others, of course, you know, in this strange time of, <laughs> of uh, live streaming, or stream, not screaming, but streaming, um, we don't really see these things, but at the gospel, you can cross your mind, cross over your heart, or mouth, and cross over your heart. Now, it wasn't until my second year of seminary that I finally actually heard somebody explain to me, why do people cross themselves? And it was incredibly helpful. And I was told two things, which I hand on to you here. One reason we cross ourselves is so that our bodies can communicate the truth to our minds, our hearts, and anybody who's watching, that we have been crucified with Christ. That's something that we find in the New Testament. And our whole life can be cruciform. And so we're simply saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that's really, really good. The other reason we cross ourselves is as a Trinitarian sign. That is, the Father sends the Son, and the Holy Spirit binds us to the life of the Son. So it's a way for our bodies to participate with things that our hearts they already know this to be true. Our minds know this to be true. And our body is saying, I went in on that. I want to do this. I want to participate in this cruciform and Trinitarian shape of the Christian life. Now, we also use our hands. We can lift them. We can open our hands. 
uh, at the doxology. We can extend our hands, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And our hands are out here as if to say, I, I, I have been the recipient of gifts. Maybe not a lot, maybe not all the ones may I wish I had, but, but, but God has provided and, and, and as a sign of, a visible, tangible sign of, of my gratitude, my hands are out here, right? Now, we also use our hands when we receive the elements of, of the bread and the cup. We receive these things. Why? Because the body and blood of Jesus is given to us. We, we don't grasp that body. We, we don't master the body and blood of Jesus. We're recipients of it. So our hands are always out this way as a way of saying, I need that life this day and, of course, evermore. And then lastly, we, we stand and we bow. We stand at the creed. Why is it that Christians stand at the creed? Well, this is a very, very ancient practice, one of the most maybe ancient practices, uh, physical uh, practices of, of worship. <clears throat> it goes back to the early centuries of the church. If somebody wanted to be a follower of Jesus and be a part of the life of the church, they actually had to go through a multi-month, in some cases, multi-year process of preparation. And finally, the day would come when they would be invited to become full members of this fellowship of Jesus, this body of Christ. And they would be offered the bread and the cup, and they would be invited to stand. And when they stood and said out loud, with their mouths, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and everything else that is said. They were fully reckoning with the fact that from this day forth, they would be vulnerable, susceptible, liable, persecution, and martyrdom. So when they stood and declared this, they stood as a way to say, I own this affirmation. It's a very powerful story. And then, we, and then when the cross comes in, that is when we normally gather, the cross comes in at the beginning, uh, processes and it recesses at the, uh, you know, at the end, and we, we turn our bodies towards the, the cross or we bow towards the cross. Why? It's just a visible, tangible way to represent our reverence, our humble reverencing of Jesus himself. Now, there are also, these are prescriptive, and there are lots more, and you can ask, well, you can ask me, you can ask Peter, you can ask Nick, anybody else, uh, why we do what we do. We also do spontaneous things, or we can do spontaneous things with our bodies in the liturgy. So our hands, right? Our hands during the, the time of song, we could do things, and I realize that when you're at home, wherever you are in your living room or kitchen or bedroom or office or on the go, it's just harder to do these kinds of things. It's awkward, or maybe you have kids, and it's super distracting. I get it. I got two little ones. It's not always easy. But we do our best, right, under these circumstances. So we can sing and, and offer this uh, spontaneous expression of love for God. Now, I didn't learn why our bodies and hands mattered in singing to God uh, until my senior year of high school. And I was attending a youth group, Assembly of God youth group, and one Wednesday night, the youth pastor gave a little talk on why our bodies matter. And I realized no one had ever actually told me that my hands mattered in my worship of God. 
And it was really, really helpful to know that my hands are, are instruments, right? Instruments of peace, instruments of harm, and they be, become instruments of praise as well. And so, you know, that, that night that after he, he gave his talk and we had our songs, I, I tried out a few things. I can't really do it here because I'm seated. My hands were first sort of by my side right here because that was the safest that I felt. And then there was kind of like, you extend them out, but it's still super safe because I'm attached to my torso. And then eventually, you know, hands go out. And it took weeks and months to get used to this because it felt very weird and awkward and uncomfortable. But I realized, why am I awkward and uncomfortable? Because I'm not awkward and uncomfortable with my body when I'm at sports or musical events. But surely this place of loving and worshiping God can be a place where my body can express in appropriate ways. Then there's kneeling. We can pray. Uh, kneeling, we can pray, well, actually standing, right? And there are different points which... These are prescribed, but there are other places where you could choose spontaneously to kneel as a sign of being humble in this place of, of requesting things from God. But you can also stand as a sign of being raised with Christ. Lots more places. We don't have time, but we have the rest of our life and weeks to come to explore these together. Let me end with just a final note to underscore what this isn't and what this is with this whole bodies and worship matter. The first thing to say is our use of our bodies and worship isn't legalism. You don't have to do anything at the end of the day. You're not under law. If you don't raise your hands or bow your knees, you don't get spiritually docked. God doesn't love you more or less depending on what you do with your bodies. So just hear that clearly. You're not under law, but you know what this is? It's an extraordinary opportunity to offer loving obedience to God. It's about getting to offer a sacrifice of praise with our bodies. And you know what? Sometimes it is a sacrifice because you don't feel like it. Your heart is not in it. Your brain is not in it. But your body can say, I will lead. And it, it, with your will, you say, I choose to worship God with my body. And sometimes... Our hearts and minds follow. Secondly, this whole use of our bodies in worship, it doesn't make you automatically spiritual. That just, let's be clear about that. You know, raising my hands, bowing my knees, passing the peace with my wife with a hug, it doesn't magically make me more spiritual or more close to God or close to my wife. None of that. And I certainly don't want to offer to God a mindless worship or a heartless worship with my body. But what I do want is in, in the week after week after week of, of using my body in this way is to let my body train uh, certain instincts in me, certain habits, certain ways of perceiving the rest of my life, Monday to, to Saturday, as this life full of, of love for God, this acclamation or a life of humility. So my body has this extraordinary uh, capacity or role that it plays to help me acquire a feel for the things of Christ, as it were. And then lastly, what we do with our bodies in worship isn't really a matter of our personality types. It really isn't. It, 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 this stuff that we get to do with our bodies isn't for extroverts only. It isn't for charismatic types only. It definitely is not for the emotionally expressive only. It really has nothing to do with our personality types. I think it's also important to say, it's not about peer pressure. And I know some of us may feel like, oh, look at that person, they're raising their hand so much, or they're just crossing themselves all over. I'm not gonna do that. And I get that. And we don't want it to be a matter 
of peer pressure. But you know what it is? This is an amazing opportunity to encourage one another in tangible ways. And maybe you've been to a sporting event or maybe you've been to a music concert and people around you, they're getting excited, they're extending their hands, they're stomping their feet, they're clapping, they're doing all these kinds of things. And you think to yourself, I wanna get caught up in that. that that's, yeah, that's the right spirit. And so this is this holy infectious experience that we offer to one another when we praise God with our bodies. And there are times when I'm at worship and I'm not feeling it at all, but I see someone across the room who I know is going through a really hard time in life and they're choosing to extend their hands in love and honor. And, and, and that moves me deeply. And I think to myself, I want that. I want to have that kind of heart that chooses to love God despite how I'm feeling in the moment. So in the end, ultimately, we don't move our bodies for the sake of movement alone. We, we move our bodies because we want to be caught up in something bigger than ourselves. I want to be caught up in something bigger than just me, which is what? It's the movement of all the celestial bodies, of stars, moon, and sun who orbit around their maker. It's the movement of all the heavenly hosts and all the angels of heaven around the Lamb of God. That's what I want to get caught up in. That is my true destiny, my true end, my true purpose. As a person made in the image of God with a body that was designed to worship God. Let me pray. Jesus, we commend ourselves to you this day and ask that you would give us a grace to love you, to worship you, to praise you, to serve you with our bodies. And this day, and in this year in particular, uh, we offer to you our broken bodies, all the ways in which our bodies are, are hurt or are tired and exhausted or have been wounded in some specific way, ways in which bodies have been rejected, ways in which uh, violence has been done, to bodies, ways in which bodies have been weaponized against one another. All of our confusion, Lord, all, all, all of the, the mixed feelings we have perhaps about our bodies, all the ways in which our bodies may have unhealth in them, or all the ways in which we perhaps may have been wounded by others, perhaps in our family or in the church or others in bodily ways. We offer you our bodies this day, Lord, and, and receive them in your care and, 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 and grant us the gift of faith, hope, and love to worship you in and through our bodies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.